Now on Document Your News Talk. To coincide with International Roma Day, producer Susan Dennehy reveals the experiences of four Roma women living in Ireland in A Roma Girl in Dublin. In the summer of 2007, a most unusual story dominated the news in Ireland. A small group of Roma people had set up home in the middle of a roundabout on a busy motorway in Ballymun on the north side of Dublin. Reports featured daily in the national media. Frances Rostash is one year old. Pinta is three. This is where they live. From views of heavy traffic, the camera pulls back to reveal children standing outside the flimsy shelters. Scenes like these were very unusual in Ireland at the time. Up to this point, people generally left rather than arrived here to make a better life for themselves. The Rostas have put down pieces of wood and rags to allow them and the children to walk over the mud. Health officials are warning that there could be an outbreak of an infectious disease. There's no running water, no sanitation, no waste collection. Charity officials are describing this as a humanitarian crisis. While civil society called out the unfolding crisis, the Irish government dug their heels in and they refused to assist the Roma who were living in dire circumstances. The Rostash family have been living here for two months now. Six weeks ago, the youngest was born at a Dublin hospital. You're looking at his first home. Officially, it's estimated that 5,000 Roma people call Ireland home. In reality, that figure could be much higher, but it's hard to tell, as Roma people are often not counted. Having dodged the traffic today, the Rostash family will do so again tomorrow and the day after. They say conditions are worse for them in Romania. They're used to being pushed to live at the edge. Jonathan Clinch, RTE News. In 2022, the Roma community were recognised as an ethnic group for the first time in Ireland's census. Despite this, and despite the fact that lots of Roma people are working and making a good living here, many remain at the edge of Irish life. Here, they endure constant poverty and discrimination. Roma women, in particular, are often the target of racist attacks, as they're easily identified when they wear their traditional long skirts and colourful scarves. In this documentary, you will hear about the lives of four Roma women in Ireland. Gabby Montiana came to Ireland in the year 2000. To be a Roma woman, it's tough, to be honest with you. And I see myself as a Roma woman who is proud to be Roma because, you know, the people are seeing us now as beggars, thieves, um, somebody who is very bad. People in general, they don't know us and they just judge us very quickly. Vanessa Paschkowska was born in the Rotunda Hospital and grew up in Dublin. The kids were always slacking. You're this, you're that, gypsies are this, gypsies are that. There was a girl that came up to me um, one day and she was like, doesn't matter how hard you try, you're a gypsy and you're always going to be a gypsy. You're never going to be one of us. 
I felt heat coming through my body, the anger boiling inside of me, but I couldn't open my mouth. And from that point onwards, I had to hide my ethnicity to have equal treatment. Sylvia Kovaci considers herself Roma and Irish. One day I was going to the post office in DPO. My mom just needed to send off a letter. And there was a woman who was calling her all sorts of names, was screaming. And my mom didn't want to bother. She didn't pay attention. She ignored her. Um, the woman got frustrated that my mom ignored her and came, followed her actually uh, inside the post office. When we got out, she jumped on my mom and nobody said anything. Mariora Rostas was an 18-year-old girl who lived in Dublin. It was a relief that we found. Uh, joy would have been to find her alive. You can realize how it is for four years not to have any news of her. We always hoped she would be alive. My mother kept saying, she'll, she'll, she'll be back, she'll be back. And look, she never came back. That's it. This is A Roma Girl in Dublin. In 2007, a young, newly qualified community worker called Sarah Russell was working for Pavi Point Traveller and Roma Centre. In May, when Sarah and her colleagues heard about the camp at Ballymun, they went straight out to make contact with the group. Sarah, Susan, how are you? How are you? Good nice to, see to you. meet you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, so when we went out there first, um, they were living on, people said it was a roundabout, but it was actually uh, a kind of a, a bowl-shaped semicircle, and then you actually go down. It's quite a sheer drop down into this um, embankment or a, a kind of a hole in the ground, really. And surprisingly enough, I, my first reaction was, oh, my goodness, how ingenious of these people to construct such great shelters out of, you know, trash and rubbish and stuff people discarded. Because when we first went there, it was the weather was quite good. It was June. And, you know, their, their camp was really tidy. As I said, the shelters were quite well made. And um, but obviously um, we thought, well, you know, this is not a safe place for anybody to be living. And, you know, they can't stay here. There were many NGO representatives on the roundabout that summer. Oh, yeah. My name is Derek Spears. I'm a documentary photographer. And, um, and that's what I do for a living, taking photographs. Derek had been asked to photograph the camp. OK, these would have been June. And um, the photographs show show the families within the roundabout. Yeah, that's inside a shelter. Um, as I say, it's a makeshift, makeshift shelter made of branches and um, polythene. And there's a woman there with her baby and you can see some of her possessions. The, the, the one about... 
image that sticks out for me is the day that we went down and um, the young woman had been discharged from hospital and I remember she was peeping out of the tent and then she just lifted up the kind of flap and there was the little bundle um, wrapped up in kind of swaddling row. My mums all, all, always wrap their babies up in tight little swaddles to keep them warm and uh, there was a little baby like lying beside her. The Roma on the roundabout lived in a kind of limbo. Because their native Romania had joined the EU earlier that year, they had the right to be in Ireland. But unknown to them before they arrived, they did not have the right to work here. Days turned to weeks, turned to months. The situation at the camp became more and more difficult. The weather really turned then, and that's, I suppose, when it started getting quite serious, that... You know, as I said, it wasn't it wasn't a roundabout. It was actually like a, a fishbowl, and it started. The rain started, and it started to fill up with water. So I remember one particular day going out, and one of the the tra- local travel organisations had given this. I remember this like Barbie car with Barbies, and I remember seeing this little girl playing with the, this Barbie car and the Barbies in like just a pool of mud with rubbish in it, and it was it was really sad. The other thing that kind of um, stood out was the smell. The smell because people had nowhere to put their rubbish. They had nowhere to go to the toilet. And uh, it was very rainy, but it was hot, so it was humid. So the smell began to get really, really bad. I remember the women, you know, would be telling us about the rats then. And at night, you were saying the kids couldn't sleep because of the rats that were eating their food. And they were hanging their food, you know, they were hanging sliced pans and stuff like that on the trees so that the rats wouldn't get them. And then the, the, some of the photographs were of them actually on the side of the road at the roundabout. There was very, um, very bad attitude, very little support. I mean, you, you, it was all over those kind of phone-in radio shows all the time. And, you know, you just couldn't listen to you know, the ignorant comments that people were ringing in about. And, you know, even on the, the roundabout, people, you know, it was it's a very busy junction. There's cars out, and people would be shouting things out the windows at the, you know, their car windows, throwing stones, throwing eggs. There was a huge amount of, of hate. Eventually, on the 24th of July, the decision was made to deport the group back to Romania. Derek recalls the atmosphere around the campfire the night before as warm. He was struck by the Roma's sense of community and their ability to find happiness in the most difficult of circumstances. He only had a few short hours in bed before returning to the camp the following morning. Yes, we arrived and it was, it was before the sun had come up and I, I'm looking at photographs now where there's a lovely sunrise um, and then eventually, as the sun came up, the, the guardie then went and explained to people what was going to happen. And they just sort of cooperated and they just filed out and onto buses. Is this the last contact sheet of photographs you took at the roundabout? Yeah. So you have them leaving. You have the tents, just the abandoned tents and shelters. And um, as I say, there were some remained uh, for a little longer. I think they probably would have left maybe later that day or a couple of days later, a day later. But um, yeah, no, that was it. And I think the whole place was closed down then. And I don't know what happened after that. 
Nick, my mama, the, with the ropes, can go there? Dimitru Rostas, his wife and three young sons, are in the playground in Mountjoy Square in the heart of Dublin. Dimitru's parents were on the roundabout in 2007. After being deported, they made the decision to come back to Ireland to try again. They had a contact in Dublin who could get them work. The plan was to bring Dimitru's sister over to join them once they were established. Despite the poverty, Dimitru has happy memories of his childhood and of his older sister, Mariora. She was well-behaved and always taking care of the youngest brothers. For example, I'm of the youngest ones. She always used to wash my hair as we don't have... We had limited possibilities, a small little basin with hot water, and she used to wash my hair and brush my hair, always playing together, always minding us on the playground. The family made the journey back to Ireland. But once again, when they got to Dublin, things did not go as planned. The contact who had promised the family work had disappeared. But in me. When we came, I can't remember, around 2007, my father had a sister and her brother-in-law were here and we came with a sole purpose, to work. When we came over, myself, my mother and my father, this man disappeared and we had no place to stay, no job to work at and we... I, I stood at the first uh, traffic lights and I started begging. Yes, I started begging. Having no other choice, the family go from car to car begging at the busy junction of Pierce and Lombard Street. Every evening they would take the train to the seaside town of Donabate, where they had set up home in a derelict cottage. This was how they were living when Mariora joined them in December 2008. I know that my sister lived in Donabait with us. It was by the railway station. Very cold, I remember, until we found this little fireplace that we didn't really know that we could light the fire. And then when we started using it, yes, it got better. But at the very beginning, I remember it being really, really cold. On the 6th of January, only weeks after she arrived, while begging at the junction, Mariora was abducted. I was at the junction. She saw me at the junction. My sister at the junction where, unfortunately, she went missing. My father was with us and at some point, I'll never forget, we got hungry. He went to the super value to get us some food. And the time that my father went to get food. 
my sister disappeared. Dimitru had witnessed Mariora being taken away in a car by an Irishman who had promised to buy her a McDonald's and return her to the junction. Her family never saw her alive again. In the crucial days following her abduction, her distressed family did everything they could to report her disappearance, but their lack of English and status worked against them. Pavi Point provided support to the family. Her brother, I think, did go to the police um, you know, after he waited for her for a few hours, I think he did go to the police, but, you know, he couldn't make himself clear. So it was 72 hours before they were actually able to make a, a missing person report. That was, you know, such a sad story. Um, and I suppose it made even sadder by the fact that, again, there was there was very little, you know, sympathy for, for Mariora. There was very little... Um, outcries you know when you compare it to some of the the murders of other young you know other young women over the years that nobody was going to miss her um apart from her own family nobody was going to you know make a big public campaign she wasn't involved in a ga team she wasn't in a school she you know didn't have um you know an irish community to fall back on here there's a very high concentration of roma living in some of the most disadvantaged areas of Dublin city. If you are Roma living in Dublin and you're looking for a job, you will more than likely find yourself in a queue on Buckingham Street, waiting to speak with a man well-known and trusted by the Roma community. She's in, you're probably at the door, aren't you? I'm not sure if I'm at the door. Um, I'm opposite the Sean Tracy house. Hold on a second. I'm waving at you. If you look down at the bottom of the street, there's a chap waving at you there. Just come down the street. There's a statue here. Okay. Uh, it's the family statue, the one with the flame made out of bronze. See you in a bit. So, my name is Rares Mihai Nicola. I am originally from Romania. I am 42 years old. I live in Drahera, out of all places, and I work for Dublin City Community Cooperative in Dublin 1 out of Buckingham Street. I think it life as it happened, it was of a chance that I started working with members of the Roma community. I am very familiar with the community because I come from Bistrica, which is a small town of about 70,000 people in kind of the heart of Transylvania and North Transylvania, uh, where there is quite a large Roma community. Rarish explains that in order to understand the Roma, it's important to know about their history, including the trauma they've inherited. Originally, the Roma community comes from India. They were brought in Europe first by Tatars and then uh, by the Ottoman Empire. And they were brought in as slaves. Um, and they have served as slaves um, in pretty much everywhere uh, in, in Europe until uh, roughly until the 19th century. The end of slavery for the Roma did not mark the beginning of freedom and prosperity. Once they were emancipated, they were not really supported uh, by the state. And that really led to um, a pushing to the fringes uh, in the society. I mean, because they, they couldn't access um, education, that led to a further uh, pushing to the, to, to the side, which just kept perpetuating itself over, over the generations. On the back of a legacy of slavery, European Roma 
were one of the groups singled out for genocide in the 1930s and 40s. And then uh, that dreadful moment of the Second World War and Nazism came. We have those absolutely horrible moments of, of gas chambers and the, the Holocaust. It's very hard to gauge numbers because members of the Roma community didn't count as much, so they were not counted. So it's hard to have numbers, but historians estimate anywhere between 700,000 and a million and a half uh, members of the Roma community being exterminated uh, in extermination camps. Sadly, the systematic persecution of the Roma did not end there. And unfortunately, we had ethnic targeting even in the modern times. Uh, there are a couple of well-documented cases when state services in some of the Eastern uh, Europe countries have sterilised women um, without their consent and without their knowledge, relatively uh, recently, in the last 50 years. Not far from where Rarish is based is Pavi Point Traveller and Roma Centre. I'm here to speak with one of the current Roma team. Gabby is one of a growing number of Roma women working to promote the rights of her community in Ireland. Hiya. I'm here to see Gabby. They're expecting me. Thank you. So, uh, Gabi Montianet, uh, actually Gabi Florica Montianet is my name, and uh, I am, um, I live in Ireland for about uh, 22 years now, originally from Romania. Uh, my ethnicity is Roma. Gabi describes what it was like to be the Roma girl growing up. I grew up with my uh, grandmother in a small village in the west of uh, Romania and um, it it was very nice when I was, you know, small. I was allowed to play with everybody. But when I, um, when I started in school, I, um, it um, became of the, the separation of who you are, basically. And I was the Roma uh, girl. And um, how I noticed that we are different from others it was that um, I have a very good friend of mine in school, but then uh, her mother did not allow her to play with me. You know, just being the Roma, you have to be in the back of the class when I was back in school. So it, it was always this difference between Roma and non-Roma. It's really important to mention that there are ro- great Roma communities in Bulgaria, uh, in Poland, in Hungary, in Greece, uh, in the Czech Republic, in the Slovak Republic, uh, in Slovenia. So those are all the Eastern countries as well, the former Yugoslav states. And then there are historic, uh, historical Roma communities in Western Europe as well. Take uh, the, the Romani in Germany, uh, the ones in France, the ones in Spain, Andalusia and Flamengo, if you want, for all that means the purposes, is a Romani tradition. God, I didn't know anything about Ireland before I came. Um, n- no, we take uh, my uh, my husband has um, a cousin here in Ireland when we came, and this is maybe where we choose to come here. Uh, I think 1990s were the first moment, but slowly as countries progressed into the European Union. Uh, members of the Roma community in those countries, because they were citizens of those countries, started travelling in in Europe. 
uh, we came in 2000. Uh, that was January 2000 when we came to Ireland. To be honest with you now, if I knew what I'm going, going into it, I don't think I would come. Because it was very hard when, when we first came to Ireland. Gabby's experience back then was not unlike that of refugees and asylum seekers who come to Ireland every day now and are placed in emergency accommodation when they arrive. It was very hard because, and it's happening even now, uh, if we are looking at um, the Roma people that they are coming from Ukraine. So when I first came to Ireland from Dublin, they moved to Cork in the middle of nowhere, a place where there was a lot of men there, a lot of strange people. There was only myself and my husband. We didn't know anybody. Nobody was speaking our language. It was very tough to be there. We left there and we came here to Dublin. And when we came to Dublin, we came back to where we start. And um, we said, like, we, we can't stay there. And we explain, explain why. Then I, I remember the, the interpreter, the, there was a woman, and she said, well, you are by your own. Nobody is going to help you, but they are going to deport you if you are, if you are not going to stay there. And I, I was like, okay, it's it's okay if they deport me, but I don't I don't stay there. Gabby and Tika decided to take their chances and stay. After a short stint living in Malahide, they moved to Newbridge. But we have to support ourselves, so we had to to bake and sell flowers in the in the street of Newbridge. They were good and bad people. There were people who were chatting with you for a while and then just left. And then there were people who were, you know, just throw words on yourself, you know, go back to your own country, go, you are not from Ireland, you don't belong here. I was selling flowers in one night and um, I had a bunch of flowers in my hand and I just came into the street. I didn't uh, manage to sell anything. And there was a, a big guy approaching me. He took all the, the flowers from my hand and he ran away. And he started to um, throw the flowers to the people. Uh, I think that was the moment when I, I felt very bad, hopeless, helpless. This is Documentary on News Talk. You're listening to A Roma Girl in Dublin. In 2018, Roma peer researchers visited Roma homes as part of a national needs assessment. Gabby recalls having her eyes opened in the course of that research. I, I am from the community and I knew that my community is living bad, but not so bad. When I entered to this house, there was an abandoned house and a disabled Roma woman was living there with her children. The house was like cold, uh, dark. I uh, she opened the door and she she welcomed me into the house. I knew her from before, and she she say, "I'm sorry, you know, that I I live so," but she say, "You are welcome." I felt sorry for her, but what struck me it was a child. Um, he was not even ten. He opened the door and he had the school uniform. I 
did not want to cry, but I start crying. And I just had a few tears and then I say, I have to talk to her. And I, you know, I think the, there I saw the struggle that my community has in Ireland. So we're having one, two, three, four, five, six, I think seven or eight uh, um, service users in the front. Uh, there's small children there as well. There's a person that's retired too. I, I see some of them in the office as such. Um, we have a service user called Maricel. Uh, Maricel is the father of four. His wife is here in... Back at the employment clinic on Buckingham Street, Rarish is helping a man prepare his application for habitual residency. This is the condition that you must satisfy in order to get any basic support from the state including job seekers allowance or child benefit. This is not a straightforward process and getting all the documentation together takes time. Meanwhile, Sylvia, a young colleague, manages the large queue that has formed outside. So we're just going to head out to our queue. Um, I'm just going to see which of our service users I can take um, while Ravish is dealing with one of the other service users. So I would just take the ones I could help, as I'm not fully skilled yet. So our queue seems to be very long today, very busy. Started at 9 o'clock in the morning. Everyone's very patient and sometimes impatient to get in here through this door and get their problem solved. So How many people have we today now? Um, I would say we have already taken around 12 people. I don't know what time it is, 10, half past 10, I don't know. Um, and we probably have about 30 more service users left. Or God knows how many will come today by 5 o'clock. Okay, so my name is Silvia Kovaci. I am 19 years old. I am Romanian. I grew up in Ireland, so I'm half Irish. Um, I come from the Roma community. I work with the Roma community. It's a pleasure. Um, my role here is program assistant. I used to live on Killarney Street, which is just across the road. I lived there for 12 years. I went to school um, nearby. And then did your family move? Um, we recently moved because of the conditions the house had and because of the problems we had to face with kids coming in, kicking the door, throwing eggs at the window, um, sometimes putting fireworks through the post. And like, it was tough, but it was our place. We, we grew up there. And you've moved to another part of Dublin now? Unfortunately, yeah. Service users do report... Uh, all sorts of, of of very unpleasant situations that they find themselves into. And I'm trying to be very diplomatic here. Um, and things that sometimes are very openly anti-Roma, as in, you know, go back where you come from, you Afghan gypsies. Or I, we've had instances here in this office twice. We had firecrackers thrown at our office when members of the of the um, of the Roma community service users of ours were waiting outside. You, you've seen the queue there. So, and when you have six, seven people, and you have children as well, and have firecrackers thrown in you, that's 
that's something that's that's beyond any sort of comprehension. So there's very overt stuff like that, but there's very covert um, events that happen. I don't know, boss is suddenly not stopping anymore. Uh, or um, being asked a lot more documents in, say, a social welfare office. Uh, just because... Just because... <laughs> Institutional discrimination is a feature of life for Roma women living in Dublin. They're often treated with distrust and are regularly expelled from services, including public transport and shops. Sylvia has witnessed this firsthand. One day during the summer, I decided to go with my mum shopping because she really, she loves watermelon. So we knew there was this particular shop that will for sure have it. Um, now, on the way, when we got there, I was allowed to go inside because the the sales assistant there didn't realize that I was with my mum because I was dressed like an Irish girl. I was in a tracksuit. I, I was holding an energy drink. I had my AirPods in. I was walking, listening to music by, by my mum's side, but the woman didn't realize that I was with my mum. And what was your mum wearing? My mom was wearing the traditional clothes. They weren't even colorful or anything. They were just plain, normal Roma clothes. Um, she stopped my mom from entering the shop and I asked her, uh, excuse me, sorry, what's, why is my mom not allowed to come in the shop? Like, is there a problem or something? And she says, well, we, we stopped letting any Roma women, woman come in this shop and she said, well, because everyone's always stealing from here. And I said to her, is, is this for real? Like, what's going on? So my mom wasn't able to do her shopping because she's Roma. Uh, so it's heartbreaking. And it, it's heartbreaking when, when you see grown people, I suppose, being sometimes afraid of going down the street or women or children who are supposed to be innocent. And, you know, they're supposed to just enjoy the young years. And you see them afraid of interacting with, with, I suppose, other children or maybe the society at large because of previous experiences of, I don't know, verbal violence, physical violence. What time frame do they span and what year does the oldest allegation? Hi, Owen. Hey, how you doing? Not too bad. Um, where are you at the moment? I'm in town here. Would you be able to, I just sent you a message there. Would you be able to head out? There's been an accident on the M50 um, emergency services on the way. Would you be able to go out and have a look? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, talk to you later. Cool. Thanks, Thanks Bye. Mark Condren is my name. I'm a staff photographer in the Irish Independent newspaper. We go from job to job every day, every job is different. Obviously, any, any bad news story obviously is, is tough. And tell me about the call you got on the 23rd of January 2012. Yeah, that was that was definitely one of the worst ones. Um, I got a phone call uh, to basically say that there a, a body been found up in the Wicklow Mountains um, with a good idea who it probably was. So yeah, that came true and unfortunately it was uh, Mariora. By this time, Mariora had been missing for four years. While she was begging from cars on Lombard Street, she had been abducted, held captive, murdered and buried in a shallow grave in County Wicklow. I remember going, it was winter, 
and um, it was turning dark and it was when I got there it was I think we had to walk up kind of a laneway into it and it was just into this forestry area you can hear that like the media we're not making noise we just hear the camera shutters and some digging and then she was found yeah we heard it on the news on television that the woman uh, who did, went missing Mariara Rostash was found dead and then the next thing was a phone call from the station I remember we were brought to the chapel we recognized the body of my sister then we were brought to the to the place where she was buried shortly after this Dimitru and his family made the long journey back to Romania to give his beloved sister a respectful burial so the first time I met the family was in Mountjoy Square they were leaving on a bus heading through France and down into Romania, uh, the whole the whole family. And I remember photographing them outside the bus in Mountjoy Square and I used a wide-angle photograph and just the sadness in the face of her mum and dad looking out the bus and you can just see Dublin in the background. Accompanied by members of the Garda Siakona and the Irish press, Mariora's remains were flown to the place near the Hungarian border that she called home. It was cold. It was very cold. It was uh, winter, um, minus 20 degrees, um, four foot of snow. I, I remember just obviously with the snow just being white and these kind of little shacks of houses with no heating, um, really run down and uh, fires lighting outside. I remember the fires lighting outside. And were these all Roma people? All Roma people, yeah. They were all Roma people. So that's where Mariora had lived before she came to Ireland? Yeah, she lived in this little community, um, this little little community of 200 people. You wouldn't call it a village. Um, it was just this kind of, their own, little, their own little world there, their own little community there. And yeah, I remember the locals at the time were really happy that she had gone off to see could she get a better life. Um... Yeah, and that I, I remember distinctly them saying that to me, yeah. This song um, called Dali Dali Romawe was created during the Second World War by a group of Roma that were captured uh, by Nazis. Um, they were forbidden to speak to each other. And uh, but they still wanted to warn other Roma not to go in the same direction, uh, because that the Nazis are gonna be ahead of them. We call them Zamariben. Um, my name is Vanessa Poshkovska. Um, I'm 21 years old, and I live in Dublin, in Ireland. Uh, my ethnicity is Polish Roma. My mama was born in Poland. 
and uh, so she's Polish Roma and my dad was born in Germany and um, they met actually in Ireland they had a wedding in Fisbro in the St. Peter's Church I am Vanessa's mom my name is Monika Paszkowska and I live in Ireland around 20 years so we come to Ireland to found the job to get the money come back and then starting my life but things go different i was found the job but then to my house come my husband we just see each other we just discovered that he likes me i like him and then after maybe week time we get we just run away from the house yeah that was the traditional way in roma uh, because the youngest the young uh, people they run away together like there was before they was doing that in forest like my grandmother uh, like my um, uncles aunties they if they met each other they have to run away to the forest <laughs> so where did you run to oh, we run to um how to say this Temple bar. To Temple Bar. It <laughs> <laughs> was so funny. Monica and her husband settled down together in Blanchardstown in Dublin. Their two daughters attended local schools and Vanessa is now studying for her master's degree in Maynooth University. Like many Roma, integrating has not been easy. They've often felt the need to hide their ethnicity, despite being very proud of their Roma culture and heritage. These are um, our traditional Roma clothes that we wear for special, very special occasions um, and for performances as well. Um, So my mom, sister and I are are like a trio and we perform like a trio and each one of us has different colours. My mom is wearing black, I'm wearing royal blue and Alexandra is wearing uh, mint blue. I don't know. That is a that is song, traditional song of actually my family. I got tired of hiding who I am, but I didn't know how to get out of that. Um, when I was in my fifth year of secondary school, I started watching political content, but I still felt very much alone because I saw no representation. But then I stumbled across a TED talk of this Roma woman that was giving her experience in education. And I could relate to that. And I saw her perform in her long skirt. And I was like, God, she looks like me. She looks like my family. And she's out there speaking with her flag behind her. That that was a very powerful moment. I was like, I want to be like her. She was a woman from my ethnicity. And slowly, slowly... I became more comfortable. I started loving who I am. 
Dimitro is going to lay flowers at the place where he last saw his sister Mariora. From Mountjoy Square, it's a two-kilometre walk and involves crossing the River Liffey. He brings his young sons and wife with him, as it would not be safe to leave them alone in the playground. The next one is uh, the junction with Lombard Street. Go straight on and then take the right. Now we're straight to the junction where she was. Taken. Since 2011, all citizens of Romania have the right to work in Ireland. Dimitru now has a job in Dublin. He says as long as he lives, his children will never beg in the street. Gabby too has hopes for a better life for her children and grandchildren. I um, I have a wish, you know, for next generation to have a better life in Ireland. Since coming to Ireland, Gabby has worked hard to improve the lives of her community, 20% of whom still live in extreme poverty. Those who are living under on extreme poverty, those are um, the people that are, are excluded. They don't have um, resident status in Ireland. We are talking about um, those people who are um, extremely vulnerable, people that they cannot read, they cannot write, the ones who are living um, in an abandoned houses. So we need a better humanitarian response from the government to help those Roma families. 16 years after the Roma on the roundabout, advocates are still calling for a humanitarian response. Like the Rastas family, who came to Dublin looking for a better life in 2007, too many Roma families live on the edge of our society. Enduring poverty and hate, they do what they can to stay safe, live a good life and build a future for their children. That's where she stay, used to stay. My sister used to stay. She mama to aici să vin să pun un buchet de flori și să aprind o lumânare. always come back here to light a candle or to bring some flowers. Dar atât mai am because this is the only thing that's left. Și locul ăsta e mă leagă mereu de soarele. That's my last connection. That th- this place will always connect to my sister. A Roma Girl in Dublin was produced and narrated by Susan Dennehy. Research was by Sean Harper. The documentary was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee.